0: Hi, Dave Lee here on today's episode on My First Concert. Would you pay for a used tissue from a performer? Yeah, maybe not. But what if that performer was Elvis and he dropped it on stage and you saw it and waited till the end of the concert to buy it? Would you do that? That's one of the many stories that Eric Escala joins us with from public television to share on his many concert stories on this episode of My First Concert with the Daver. Welcome to our show called My First Concert with the Daver, And with me on every broadcast is Brienne, our producer. Hi, Brienne.
1: Hi, it's good to be with you.
0: It's great to be with you. You say that now, wait till we're about 10, 20 shows in. But this is a podcast where we basically are remembering our first concert experiences. So, you as a listener, I'm hoping at some point on this show that you can join us and share with other listeners your very first concert you attended, or maybe among the first. Not all of us remember that clearly. We remember significant events in our lives, and without question, for many, that's the first concert we ever attended, whether it's the bands, the singers, the decade, the friends you're with, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a heartbreak, the beginning of a romance, just really a panorama of endless different memories. So we encourage your memories and an opportunity to join us on a future podcast. Today, I'm bringing in a good longtime friend of mine. Many of you have seen him on uh, public television. Eric Ascala. Double E, how are you?
2: I'm great, Dave Lee. What, a, what an honor to be here on the inaugural broadcast.
0: <laughs> well, you and I have chatted about these things before, uh, many things music-related, so we're just going to let it fly here a little bit. But your first concert, Eric, do you remember what that was?
2: I do. 1970, Minneapolis Auditorium, Elton John. I think it was his second appearance in the Twin Cities. I think he had done a Guthrie show. Uh, and one of the sidebars of this, we came down from Duluth. I was in high school in Duluth, and we came down for the show. And they were building the IDS tower at the time in downtown Minneapolis on the Nicollet Mall. Oh and they had the cross beam, the final beam of the, of the tower. A
0: beam of significance.
2: A steel beam, mm-hmm. humongous, because it was going to be above the crystal cord, I think. Yeah. And you could sign your name on the beam. With, with a pen? With a Sharpie. 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 Okay. And so my name. Is
0: on the beam. Is on the beam that's topped off. The
2: IDS Center.
0: So whenever I drive town, town, I'm going to peer up into the sky and I'm going to think of you.
2: Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you mentioned the Guthrie Show. You know what's funny about that? So I went to see Elton recently. How was he? I've seen him a number of times. Best I've ever seen him. And it's kind of his final tour, right? I, that, without question, was the best. Now, my, my wife, years ago, when we went to see Elton, remember he used to say that he had the loudest show in rock and roll. Remember that? He said it. I don't think it's true, but he said it. He said it. Well, it was true for her because she had permanent hearing damage. Really? At, and at Elton John, you're going, man, we've been to ACDC, we've been to Metallica, and Elton John's concert affected your hearing a little bit, but on the high ends. So, yeah, they used to turn those uh, amps up pretty loud, I guess.
2: Well, for me, Marshall Tucker Band at the St. Paul Civic Center Theater. Toy Caldwell? Oh, my gosh, was it loud. I mean, you got sick to your stomach. Really? Oh, my heavens. They had the stadium. Amp set up mm. for, and it was, but it was in the theater. It wasn't in the big arena. And it was, they just overpowered everybody. It, it was uh, hard to handle. They, they were great, but it was
0: loud. So I heard it in a love song, Hurt.
2: Yeah, and that flute
0: <laughs> part was high-piercing flute part. The flautist. So, okay, another nugget. That flautist, so I went over to Dakota to see um, Firefall. Rick Roberts. Yeah, but the flautist. For Firefall, he's guitar player, plays a flute, does all of that stuff. He was Marshall Tucker's guy. And then he came back to, I think it was Firefall. i got to sit and think about that for a minute. But anyway, the guy was, and he did a little thing, and he was really good. Josh Barnett,
2: I think, was one of the guy, guy's names. I I and Rick, just... Rick Roberts, who had been in the Flying Burrito Brothers, and our good friend Rick Shevchik, his claim to fame is standing at a urinal in Max's Kansas City in New York City, taking a leak right next to Rick Roberts. I mean, take that to the bank.
0: <laughs> There's a brush with greatness. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, you're, you go to see Elton John.
2: Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and we thought Nigel Olson was his drummer. Yeah, yeah. And he was going so fast, we thought he had four drumsticks. Two in each hand. He's unbelievable. <laughs> going nuts. He
0: was drumming at... Uh... The other night was he? Yeah,
2: David Johnstone is that the guitar player?
0: Yeah. So his original band members, a lot of them still with them. Uh, I didn't mean to, you know, uh, get off on this tangent, but so I guess he and Nigel he talked about it where they went off just a tube and traveled the world and just did a two man show for a while, which I didn't know. But the reason I bring it up is because Elton referred to his Guthrie appearance at his concert when he was here. Oh, he did. Yeah, and he's talked about his appearance at the Guthrie and and uh, so I looked up the uh, set list. And I couldn't find the entire set list, but I found a couple of songs. I think he sang your song at the Guthrie. And then he did a cover of a couple of people, I think, at that time. But anyway.
2: Well, um, and the, the Rolling Stones, when they were just here, in, was it October? Whenever, yes. whenever, yeah.
0: whenever it was. I think so.
2: As we record this, October of 2021. Was that right? Or was it yeah. in the first of the year? No, I think that's right. Well, anyway, they put up on the screen Excelsior uh, Amusement Park. Oh, my. Yeah. Where where where, you know, where they had played in 64 or 3 <laughs> Little Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little Jimmy is was was the proprietor of the park or No,
0: Little Jimmy was, was a was a, a a young man who lived over there. And then uh Mick ran into him allegedly and they cher- uh, shared a cherry coke, was it?
2: Yeah. I, oh, that we had cherry. And, well, it's in the
0: lyrics of the song. He, Yeah, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. That allegedly came from Little Jimmy.
2: Springsteen has a couple of, uh, 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 interesting bits. Uh, one of them is I was at the St. Paul Civic Center when they did the dancing in the dark video. Yes. This would have been eighties,
0: 84. Uh, maybe. 84?
2: They were, they're doing it for MTV summer of 84. Does that sound right? That sounds right. And so, uh, he's d- doing dancing in the dark and he pulls out of the audience a young, young woman with short haircut and a white T-shirt.
0: Yeah, kind of a muscle shirt, yeah.
2: And we're thinking, man, this is, it, this is incredible, bringing that young woman up on the stage, and they're dancing, and the band's going, and, and they finish up, and everybody's just going nuts because <laughs> Bruce is incredible that he would bring this young woman up on stage. And then they do it again. <laughs> same woman, same hand down, down in front. Pull her up on stage. <laughs> So we come you know. to find out that this was the video for "Dancing in the Dark" that uh, played on MTV.
0: Done by was it Brian De Palma that did that? The, uh, the director probably was. Yeah. So did he want different angles? Probably. Wow. Well, yeah.
2: And I think in the in the video, I don't think Nils Lofgren even knows the chords to the song. <laughs> He's kind of.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? We'll talk about that. You know, our next podcast. Let, let's bring that up. Let's, let's do, uh, delve into that show with someone who was there like you were up in the front row. and, and uh, Yeah, that'd be interesting. So you were at that show. Where were you sitting for that show? Did you have a good view of what was going on? Or were you totally confused as you watched it?
2: Uh, we had a seat, which was good. And we were up on the side. Uh, you know, and this is after the days of festival seating.
0: Yeah, where you kind of just did showed you, up.
2: Did you have festival seating at the Fargo Dome? Oh,
0: my gracious, yeah. More than once.
2: So we're, we're, we're there for the Almond Brothers. Mm-hmm. And we get there at about 9.30 for the 8 o'clock show.
0: Uh, 9.30 a.m. for the 8 p.m. Yeah. show.
2: And it is hot. And the sun is boiling down. <laughs> and the guy right behind us, we're about 6th or 7th in line. And the yeah. guy right behind us is like, I mean, he's got Confederate flag shirt and flowing hair and drugs and booze. And, and he's so fired up. You know, he's, he's traveled the country to see the Almond Brothers. We get in there. We race. You know, you're running. It's it's totally, sure. oh, to, yeah. totally unsafe. You're run, We're running into the floor of the St. Paul Civic Center. It
0: was like the day after Thanksgiving sale.
2: <laughs> Black Friday. So he, he sits down next to us, and we've been with this guy all day. And he's fired. So this is like, I so saw 630 for the 8 o'clock show. Yeah. And he's fired up, and he's talking to everybody, <laughs> and he's drinking and smoking. And they come out. Memory of Elizabeth uh, of Elizabeth Reed. Yeah, yeah. The guy passes out. (laughs) People were walking over him to get to the merch (laughs)
0: table, but he was there. He was there. Okay. Uh, So your brothers too were great concert goers, and I know I was talking with George, who works down television in Augusta, Georgia. But he, was, uh, he helped protect Elvis, didn't he, when Elvis was up in Duluth?
2: He discovered some of Elvis's diet books backstage that, that women had
0: brought Elvis because he was a little beefy. At that time, yeah. A little later in his career.
2: But he just told me this story the other day. A <laughs> little beefy. <laughs> I, said, I said, George, I'm on with Dave Lee in this concert podcast. You got to help me. He says, I got one for you. After the show, this is 1976. After the show, George is on stage, kind of cleaning up and helping get the stuff down uh, from the stage. And a woman comes up to him and points at the. St- this is, you know, right up front. This is after the show. And George said, "There's a Kleenex on the stage," <laughs> and I said, "You sure it wasn't just one of the scarves that Charlie Hodge put, you know, put around Elvis's neck?" And no, 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 Kleenex. <laughs> the woman comes up- Woman comes up. I'll give you 5 bucks for the Kleenex.
0: <laughs> 5 bucks is pretty good pay back in the day.
2: Yeah, when it was a dollar 50 an hour back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. So, and George did made no claims that Elvis had mopped his brow with this with this Kleenex. However, but for 5 bucks? Yeah, 5 bucks is 5 bucks. So, it was a cherished keepsake for that
0: woman. <laughs> Probably still has it. In a frame. <laughs> okay, just was at Graceland. Uh, just a little while ago dro- drove drove uh, through Memphis and said I got to go to Graceland. So that was kind of a fun experience.
2: Well, we did a show from the driveway of
0: Graceland. For the uh, bowl game. What yeah. was it? Independence Bowl? Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl. Yeah.
2: You know what the the house band at the Rum Boogie Cafe, the lead singer said? Mm-mm. That Graceland is what happens when you spend a million dollars remodeling Kmart. <laughs> Every exit. Yeah. Every exit at Graceland empties into the gift shop.
0: Isn't that ironic? That is just strange. I is can't it believe co- coincidence. it. Coincidence? I can't believe it. Yeah, there was nobody there the day we were there. Just uh, four people, so we had the mansion kind of to ourselves. But it was fun. You know, once you see the jungle room, and once you see all these things, that, you know, Mark Cullen was singing about and walking to Memphis. And um, I mean, it was just, it's, oh, it's cool. It's pretty cool whether you're a big Elvis fan or not, Brian.
1: Memphis is one of my favorite places I've ever been, actually. Really? And people kind of look at me strange when I say that, because there's, you know, Nashville and other, I guess, more glamorous places right. you could go. Um, and this was 10 years ago. I think it's kind of uh, fallen on some difficult times in the meantime. But uh, one of my biggest regrets is that I did not go to Graceland. We thought about it, but the traffic was just a little too bad that day, and we didn't go to Graceland. I'm still regretting it.
0: Yeah, and this was, so this would have
1: been... 2009-ish, I guess?
0: Yeah, I was driving through in January, and weather was... Chris, but it was no, obviously no snow on the ground, but it was, it was awesome. Just being the only, really the only ones there, just kind of.
1: It's a good time to go
0: there. Doing what you want to do.
2: Well, you can't beat Memphis for a three day weekend. I mean, it's fantastic.
0: Well, I stay at the Peabody. You go see the Duck March, which if you've never seen it, find out about it. The people at the Peabody are fantastic. Then we, so we're going to walk, I want to walk down uh, to uh, Sun Studios.
1: That was my next point. Is Did you get over there? Oh, my gosh. It was like a religious experience when I went there. It, it's, it's so amazing. You can really just feel everyone who's come through those doors. And, I mean, it's been from Elvis to Jerry Lewis to Johnny Cash to Carl Perkins. And it's just, you can, you can feel it still there. Even you too is recorded there.
0: Yes. Yeah, in that old. Yes. Worn out studio.
1: Yes, and that was, they uh, used it for Walk the Line as well. They really kind of used the original recording studio for that. So when you watch that, that it was, it's the same room that they all recorded in.
0: Yeah, it's a religious experience.
1: I loved it.
2: But that recording equipment is so ancient, nobody living <laughs> could operate that stuff.
0: Here's the sad part of what you've just said. So we're in there, and we're in, there, we're in the upper level where they had the radio station. And apparently if that guy those playing his records didn't like your record, he'd say something about it in the air and pretty much you were done. So anyway, they're explaining uh, everything and I'm in the room and I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh boy, and my wife said, what's wrong? I said, I could actually turn all this stuff on and I know how to run every piece of equipment in here. And it's in a museum. <laughs> little sad, little sad, but it was a great trip. And Sun Studios is just a little hole in the wall. But man, was that fun. And you, the history out of there is, is uh, well, B.B. King. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And many others. Did
2: you run a foul of Kiss when they stopped in Fargo back in the day in the 70s?
0: No. I ran I a ran foul of, well, go ahead. Well, uh, I worked at Channel 3
2: in, in Duluth, mm-hmm. CBS affiliate, for nine years in the 70s. And Kiss comes to town. And Mark Ginsburg, who's about four feet 11, our photographer, goes up to the airport. To get them coming off the plane, because at the time, the big deal was they would never be seen in their makeup. Right. Without their makeup. Right. Well, he gets them without their makeup. Oh, my. Wow. And then Big John, their roadie, the chief roadie for Kiss, who just recently passed away, he confiscates the film at the airport. <laughs> and then, So the
0: old roll of film, right? Yeah.
2: 16-millimeter yeah. film. Man. Then they do the show at the arena. George, my brother George, is backstage. He makes fun of Kiss for being so uptight about their makeup. And the same Big John pushes him against the wall. <laughs> oh. And Big John, the, the roadie, just died yep. here in the last couple months. And George said, I'll dance on his grave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did get pushed down at a concert one time. So we're at the Midnight Special. Now, Brianne, you don't remember the Midnight Special a bit, do you? Wolf- Sounds familiar to me. Wolfman Jack did it. You can YouTube some of the videos. Certainly, YouTube. I mean, he, he would. Wolfman would do his segments apparently somewhere else. So he wasn't there, and it wasn't a concert. It was let's tape this number. Okay, break. Uh, meet your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. Okay, we're going to tape another show or concert. Tape an art concert song. Another song. So the night I was there, it, I was with uh, two of my buddies. We hopped in the car. We're both in. We're co- all three of us from college. We just hopped in a car and we drove. You know, down to. Uh, Texas drove over to Las Cruces, New Mexico and into Tucson and over to, and then eventually we're just, you know, irresponsible. You know, there's certain years of my life I wish I could redo and that was part of it. But anyway, so we end up in Los Angeles and his, one of the guys has an aunt in Hollywood. So we stay with her. We go to the tonight show. Of course, as a huge tonight show fan, we're just influenced by it at that, at that age. Then we get out of the tonight show. They taped it at five 30, as I recall, so at 7 o'clock, we're walking out, and these young ladies come over, and they're interns at NBC. and say, hey, where are you going? I said, well, you know, like, <laughs> <"Hey>, really? They <laughs> said, well, we're taping a show over here called The Midnight Special. I said, you're kidding. I love that show. Well, come over. We need audience members. So the three of us go over there, and the, all, the only requirement was sit on this concrete floor in front of the stage, which was just built for TV, so it wasn't very you know nice. Free ticket. And all you do is put your hands over your head and clap so that the cameras can see your hands up in the air because that's kind of – so it looked like a lot of people were there, but there weren't many of us. So that that night, believe it or not, that performance was – George Benson was a host. I got to sit and think about this. Van Morrison was there. Uh, Carlos Santana was there. Dr. John was there. Tom Scott was there. Etta James was there. And I don't know who I'm leaving out. I mean, we had no clue, right? So uh, the last – number that they recorded was going to be everybody together and they're going to sing uh, moon dance and so etta james is off to my right and she's walking up these chintzy stairs you know like you know like a set of four to five cheap stairs that they put up against the stage so if you had to use them use them well etta was i wa- needed to walk up those stairs and she was struggling a little because it was so flimsy so being a man of valor of course <laughs> hardly but i ran up and s- i said hey I put my arm on, you know, can I help you? And she said, oh, that's great. She grabs my arm. I get her up about two of the steps. <laughs> Security comes in and forcibly says, get away. And then they throw me to the concrete floor. Wow. I mean, it wasn't just to go back to your seat. It was, boom, sit down. And so they helped out of James up to final three steps or whatever it was. She gets up the stage. So now you got all these people gathered. They're going to perform. And she stops before they start. Says, excuse me. And she walks to the front of the edge of the stage where I was sitting. And she says, young man, I want to thank you anyway. That was so kind and I so appreciate it. So I turned to my buddies and said, Etta James just talked to me. And what did they say? Who's Etta James? (laughs) But but what a show. And I think think if you go to YouTube, you could still probably see that performance.
2: I thought she was going to say that uh, she was going to get a restraining order. (laughs)
0: It, but that so that's that was my security story. Sorry, I, I I wandered off. Rush opened for Blue Oyster Cult. Oh my! Did you see that one in Fargo? No, well, I don't think I did. And so Rush opened. I may have had a few where I was like that. Your buddy at the uh, at the concert that missed most of the Almond Brothers.
2: Anyway, uh, get, this is you know Rush is big time. Oh, Geddy Lee, yeah, and and Alex Lifeson the yeah. guitars. Yep. Yeah. After their set. They are their own roadies. This is back in the seven, uh, Well, what, early 80s. Wow. It, they, they, they had their performing you know, shirts on. They come out. They put on like sweatshirts. Lifeson and Lee come out, <laughs> and they move their own equipment. They didn't have a roadie.
0: That's awesome. And you would think. How can you not like them if they're doing their own equipment? Yeah,
2: a couple of Canadian guys, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Isn't that so? And, and Alex Lifeson ended up playing golf at Hillcrest. It, it, my, my old... Sure. <laughs> yeah, when they were in town, when they were open, when they were the headliners, obviously, later on.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Rush moving on equipment.
2: Did you get the fake Fleetwood Mac at your place, at Fargo?
0: No. Well, if we did, I wasn't there.
2: Danny Kerwin
0: and Bob Welsh had split. Oh, Bob Welsh. So he was in that group, you mean?
2: I think he was in the fake group, and there were lawsuits for years, and uh, Mick Fleetwood was suing these guys, and they were countersuing him.
0: Didn't he give a sentimental lady? was that... Yeah. Okay, yeah.
2: I just wondered, because that was kind of controversial when they came through.
0: Yeah, and Peter Green was a member of that band at one time, too. Do you, do, you yeah. rem-
2: do you remember which guys split, I think their manager, a guy named Davis, his last name was, he split off a, 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 a fake Fleetwood Mac.
0: I don't, I don't remember that. But we, you know, getting to that, though, Eric, with your coverage at the state capitol, there was a bill at one time that wanted to stop these fake bands, right, that had no... But not even originals in the band, but they had the name. How did, I mean, tell us about that experience.
2: Well, um, what's the fellow from Sean Na Bowser? Bowser. Get a job. He was all over the country doing these, these, uh, because I guess there was a fake, There were fake Sha Na there was fake the platters and all of those doo wop groups from the fifties.
0: So he came in,
2: he, he drew a huge crowd at the Capitol and great testimony. I think they passed the bill finally that mm. I think they were playing at some of the casinos around These fake bands that had no original members and they were ripping off the public because they weren't uh, anywhere near the original uh, uh, members of these uh, doo-wop bands.
0: It's great talking about music, about concerts, about memories. You know what else? It's great to talk about something that a lot of people are buzzing about, reducing carbon emissions. It's good for everyone. But how do we reduce emissions while also meeting our world's increasing energy needs? Using propane is an excellent way to reduce emissions while meeting energy needs today. Propane is a clean, non-toxic energy source that helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, propane's carbon intensity score in Minnesota is only 80. Grid electricity in Minnesota, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. Who knew that using propane was that much cleaner than electricity? Plus, the abundance of propane and growth of renewable propane means it can be used for generations to come. Millions of Americans rely on propane to heat their homes and businesses, fuel vehicles on road and off, and much more, making propane the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and the environment by going to propane.com. At the Capitol, if I recall right, you had a very insightful and Challenging question for Steve Miller. Steve Miller was at the Capitol one time.
2: This is, during the, uh, this is during the nuclear waste controversy at Prairie Island. Bonnie Raitt comes in. One of your favorites. I asked her to dance at the Union
0: Bar. And what'd she say to you?
2: Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> I had a cardigan sweater on, and it wasn't
0: as hip as it could have been. No, that, in that room, that probably wasn't a thing to wear. But
2: we learn from our experiences. Yeah. So she comes in <laughs> to the Capitol to testify against nuclear waste. Yeah. And security guys mm-hmm. wouldn't talk to anybody, gave her testimony and bailed. Steve Miller's there like the next week. He comes out, sits on the steps of the Capitol, and answers every question. He couldn't have been nicer. So I said, Steve, before we start, <laughs> what is the pompetus of love? <laughs> He says, well, it's a nonsense word. It just had enough syllables to fill in the melody. (laughs) It means nothing.
0: Oh god! So
2: then we got to the the less serious (laughs) issue. And Cher showed up at one point, didn't she? Cher was campaigning for Al Gore. And you were a Cher fan. Who wasn't? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think she had had some work done. But she was good. Oh. And had her talking points down and uh, was very, uh, you know, environmentalist and uh, social justice and, of course, it was, a lot of it was environment because Gore was like Mr. Environment. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and she drew, a, she drew a, as you can imagine, you know, we're watching, we're watching a couple of uh, guys debate uh, local government aid on the floor of the house. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, here comes Cher. <laughs> Big time.
0: Yeah, let's break this up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And now for something completely different. <laughs> so among other concerts that you uh, witnessed. Gordon Lightfoot. Mm-hmm.
2: This is after he wrote The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald.
0: Okay. Written about kind of the area you grew up in.
2: This is the shipwreck. They left the Superior Harbor, mm-hmm. got in the November storm, sank, 29 men on board the Edmund Fitzgerald mm-hmm. ore carrier killed. Many of the crew members' families lived in Duluth and Superior. And he came out and he did the song. He started to do the song, you know, halfway through the show or whatever, and he gets booed. Family members thought he was making money off the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. He stops the song. He goes over to uh, uh, the side of the stage and picks up a magazine and he says, I got everything I knew about the Edmund Fitzgerald from this article in Newsweek and I didn't do it to make money. I did it to create a lasting tribute and memorial to these brave men. Well, the place went
0: nuts
2: (laughs) and they loved him after that, but it was tense, uh, well, and they, he stopped a song in the middle.
0: Why? So he kind of must have thought, well, this could possibly happen?
2: I think there'd been a story in the paper that oh. there was going to be some people uh, angered by the, prophet, the alleged profiteering off of the song, off of the tragedy. But, but that was dramatic.
0: And then he captures the crowd at the end. Oh,
2: yeah. I loved him after he uh, talked about the memorial to these brave men.
0: Yeah. Well, good anticipation on his part as well. That, that he would do that and then be prepared for it once once that would happen.
2: Uh, Neil Young played solo acoustic at the uh, Orpheum. Mhm. And I splurged. I got the f- f- right down front and then the meet and greet backstage. And so I walk up to Neil Young.
0: You got your question ready? Oh, I'm 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 all set. Is it like one question or take a picture with me and, and No, keep no, moving? he was
2: just mingling. It was, okay. you know. And I said, "Neil, you don't know this, but we've spent a lot of time together." <laughs>
0: That creeped him out a little bit.
2: And he has these piercing gray eyes. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says,
0: thanks, man. <laughs> That's all it takes. And you remember it forever. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know if they have any idea. Whatever they say, we, we kind of take it to the bank. Neil Young, you and I went to see, was it Crosby, Stills, and Nash? Or was it Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young at the XL Energy Center shortly after it opened? They did a half-house show.
2: Yeah. Well, I've seen them many times. No,
0: no, maybe it was just Crosby. It was it was Stephen Stills, and maybe David Crosby. Wasn't Crosby it? and Nash, maybe. Yeah, because they, they they sang together. Yeah, it was Graham Nash.
2: Yeah, they had a lot of permutations come through, and um, they got political one show. I I remember. Uh, I didn't real. I was I was at the St. Paul Civ. Was it the XL maybe. And it was right during the Iraq war and I, I you know, I, I liked them. So I, I went to see him and there was a, a guy, lobbyist from the Capitol, a couple of lobbyists from the Capitol near me. And I didn't know what the set list was going to be. But David Crosby comes out and says, we're going to do every protest song we ever learned. <laughs> and they knew plenty. And it was, you know, liberal, uh, social justice, anti-war. And I'm kind of going, maybe, I, maybe as a neutral reporter, I thought, well, maybe I Probably
0: should, shouldn't, be here. shouldn't be here. Yeah, that's the trouble when a concert turns that way. I don't care if you agree or disagree. I'm not sure you go there to hear that part. but 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 it yeah. happens more than... More than you would think.
2: I double-dated with Sid one time at a concert.
0: Come on. Sid Hartman. Uh, Sid Hartman, of course, the iconic sports writer. You and I both worked him for 30-plus years, yeah. so we can pretty much say anything. I think we have that license.
2: He asked the, one of the front office women out, and in a horrible lapse of judgment, she said yes. Front
0: office of what? CCO. Oh, okay.
2: And then I went with Kathy Werzer, and we went to the Decathlon Club for dinner. Wow.
0: Romance.
2: Then we went to see Neil Diamond at the Met Center. More romance. So the next morning, I'm on with Sid at 6:40.
0: Wait a minute, Brianne. If this had been you, would that have been a good night out?
1: Absolutely. I love Neil Diamond. Yeah. yeah.
0: Romantic night, right? Yes. Yeah. So, Sid's. Uh, w- I. F- now the decathlon Club burnt down.
1: Well, I mean, th- you
0: know,
2: talk about night.
1: too hot. Yeah,
2: right? It's okay. just <laughs> gotten, it just <laughs> got erupted
0: into flames.
2: Hotter than a pepper sprout. Well. So the next morning, I'm on with Sid at 6.40 a.m. On, on WCCO Radio.
0: What time did you guys get home that night? Well, you know,
2: I was young. and It didn't matter. Nah. So anyway, I say, uh, <laughs> Sid, it was incredible being out with you last night on a, on a double date. And he
0: said, well... Uh. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't happy you brought it <laughs> no. up.
2: So I said, but it got a little out of hand when you were waving your sport coat over, the, <laughs> over your head yelling, <laughs> Kentucky woman! He hated it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for some folks that don't know, Sid was a close friend of both ours, very close, but he could get a cantankerous. So I get a call from one day at home, and uh my buddy Jimmy Erickson and I are going to go see uh, Paul McCartney that night at the Target Center. And I get a call, and the tar- I think the show was eight o'clock, probably. I'm guessing somewhere in there. And so I get a call from Sid at home. So what are you doing? <clears throat> I said, Well, you know, nothing right now. Well let's go to dinner. And I, the you know, he we would go to dinner a fair amount, but a random call at you know, in the middle of the day, I want to buy you dinner at Murray's wow. restaurant in downtown Minneapolis. And I'm going, hmm, okay, so if, if I go down there at four thirty and eat, then I could finish and I could go yeah, I'll say, Yeah, I said, Yeah, well. Okay, so we get down there, we sit in his booth, you know, the plaque is still there. And as we're uh, eating, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I don't know why suddenly this is a random, I want to buy you dinner sort of thing. But uh, towards the end, he says, well, yeah, how was your bill?" I said, well, it's always great at Murray's. He said, well, <sighs> why don't we go over to that uh, Beetle Guy concert? I said, <laughs> and, of course, I'm going. How old is Sid at this point? 95. <laughs> I said, you know. The greatest response of all time. Oh, what Beetle guy? Like, you know, I already had my tickets. I'm going with Jimmy. I don't need to, you know. Hey, you know that Beetle guy. I said, Paul McCartney? Yeah, that guy. We're going to go see him. I said, yeah, I'm going to see him. Well, I'm going with you. I said, you can't go with me. I have two tickets. I said, Jimmy's got one of them already, and mine's at Will Call. I said, so we don't have. Well, I'll sit with you. I said, you, we're sitting up front. You can't just come and take an extra seat. I said, it's not festival seating. where you just stand. <laughs> Everything's reserved. And I said, we are up front. We've been waiting to see the show. Hey, that's okay. I'll get it. I know everybody. Else. I'll get in there. I said, you, you can't, you can't sit there. And then he says, by the way, here, I'll pay for the meal. He flips out a couple of Murray's certificates. <laughs> I said, this is how you pay for the meal. Just take the certificate. <laughs> so we get down and he says, let's go. And now I'm going, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll walk over with him. And, it, you know, as we walked at what, two and a half or two blocks, two and a half blocks, whatever it was from Murray's over to the Target Center. I mean anybody that's smoking who he does he sees them they're smoking Catcher, catcher catcher cancer doesn't know any of the people you know and they everybody pretty much smiles cuz it's Sid and the, the police are parked up on the sidewalk for crowd control hey look at the way you guys park <laughs> and he, the guys just insulting them and they're just looking and it's Sid Yeah. Sid could say anything to anybody but he still doesn't have a ticket so I says what are you going to do I said you don't have a ticket I got to go get my ticket at Wilco. Don't worry about it. I said I am worried about. It. We're going to go sit in the suite. I said I'm sitting with Jimmy. We're going to the suite. <laughs> I said we don't have a suite. We have a suite. I said the, their station does not have a suite. Trust me, Lee, we got a suite. So we walk over to the to the one gate where you get the VIP or the kind of the VIP entrance on the final one called VIP, but it's kind of whoever they people that have passes or whatever so walk over there and of course security says hey Sid hey Dave come on in (laughs) no tickets no nothing waltz right in I said now what are we going to do we're going to go up to the suites I said there is no suite it was kind of like my you know our dad right you're just kind of always doing that sort of thing so we go up the stairway we get uh, the, the escalators we get up to the suite level we walk in and the guy says how you doing Sid good oh where's our suite you don't have a suite we don't have a suite. I said, I told you we don't have a suite. And anyway, then our, then our general manager comes walking by, yeah. Shannon, and he sees her and he says, hey, we're sitting with you. Great. So she's in a suite with somebody, and she just brings Sid and I with her. What about poor Jimmy? Poor Jimmy had to watch a show from the front row by himself, <laughs> where I was thinking the whole time, I could have been down there, right? So then Sid sits up in the front with our general manager. I'm in the back with her husband, Tom. In the back of the suite, which is fine. And McCartney starts a show. He does about five songs from the new album, you know, none of which I know. And then he does one of the, you know, uh, one of the classics. Now he's going to go into a roll of Beatles hits, just and his hits, right? And the, this Thomas says, wow, oh, that's amazing. He's 95. He's at a concert. He says, uh, when's he, uh, how long will he stay? I said, seven songs. You know that? I said, I, trust me. I said, just count on it. Seven songs. So the seventh song starts. So we've been through five ones we don't really know. Now the hits, now I Just now it's going to be just awesome, right? Guess the seventh song, comes what? Lee, let's go. <laughs> I said, where am I going? You're giving me a ride home. I said, yeah, we don't live on the same side of town. I said, that's like I have 45 minutes out of my way to an hour. We're going. you got to take me home. And right, I said, how did you get down here? <laughs> don't worry about it. You're taking me home. I said, I'm not taking you home. I said, he's just starting to do the hits. I want to see McCartney do the hits. Let's go. I said, I'm not going. He says, I'm 95 years old. Give me a ride home. And I looked at him, and I said, let's go. You're right. You're 95. It was just part, it's part of the Sid experience. So I saw That's McCartney great. for five or six songs. Dark Star
2: and I and Sid are at the Twins game. Mm-hmm. And Sid is mouthing off. And ladies and gentlemen, to perform the national anthem, international recording star Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> Sid keeps talking, but he's kind of looking,
0: yeah.
2: you know. And and so Dark says, "Sid, sh- shut up! You we're going to hear Meatloaf. You want to hear
0: Meatloaf, don't you?" Sid goes, "F Meatloaf." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we're at the uh, Packer game. It's dark. Me and Sid at the old Metrodome, sitting back by the popcorn machine. So if you're standing back by the pop popcorn machine on the lower level of the press box, you can't quite see the whole field. You kind of have to move up to where obviously your seats are. But we're all standing there. Of course, they're shooting the breeze, and I'm I'm absorbing everything as much as I can. It's just part of the charm of hanging out with uh, with Sidney. Was just listening, and so I'm standing back there, and we're we're. BS, and all of a sudden, the same thing. The PA guy, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the bare naked lady. <laughs> and Sid, Sid shoots to the front of the press box. He's probably only like 82 or 3 at the time, shoots to the front of the press box. And, and I look over dark and dark looks at me and says, You want to tell him or should I? He says, You tell him. So I went up, I tapped his shoulder, and said, It's a rock band. Oh, and then we went back to the popcorn <laughs> machine. True story. Okay, but it all had to do
2: with rock and roll, see? My brother George used to work backstage at the Duluth Arena. Yeah. And maybe the, the, some, the way to sum it up mm-hmm. is what the roadie for Waylon Jennings told him.
0: <laughs> the
2: roadie for Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. He said, George, rock and roll is a loser's game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. That's great. Well... Eric, thanks for joining us here. Rihanna, what was your first concert out of curiosity before I let Eric go?
1: Well, it's not my favorite well, concert no, and experience it doesn't I have to so be. I hate to qualify it that No, way, but a lot but of I'll us went honest. to that
0: first show and it isn't somebody but we just went because whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I
1: had to, let me think, I was probably about ten years old. So mm-hmm. I mean I feel lucky to kind of have that first foray in at an early experience. But mm-hmm. my Older sister took me and my best friend at the time to see In when they were at the Target Center. Oh wow, oh, that's pretty and it good. was actually it might have even been the Metrodome because it was so loud with screaming girls. I remember being like, "We can't hear them sing."
0: Oh yeah, the which Bratidome. is obviously
1: why I went to see them, you know, for their good songs. Sure, <laughs> yeah,
0: well, exactly. So, did, were, did, did you become an NSYNC fan after that?
1: Oh, I was an NSYNC fan. Oh, Come when you on. went, yeah, to it. absolutely. What's was your very older excited. sister taking you? There, she, apparently, in later years, I found out she was very hungover that day too, and she said I was such <laughs> a good sister that I didn't cancel on you, and I took you anyways. That's impressive. And she canceled on a date too, I believe. So,
0: my older brother uh, was a little bit significantly older than I was. I guess I mean, you know, as far as as far as gener- as far as musical taste. So we were. Uh, Going to uh, Fargo, I think, or I was going to Moorhead to see my aunt, and he drove us, and uh, at the uh, Fargo Civic was, on the billboard was the Who. They were the, uh, and I don't know who else was opening. The Who, I mean, you know, back when they smashed their instruments. Oh, wow. And here's what my brother said to me. If I so much as even think you're there, you're going to get the crap beat out of you. I don't want to see you there. I don't want you close to there. I don't want you embarrassing me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, oh, I was too scared to go to see The Who. <laughs> he talked you out of it. For, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He would have backed, he backed that up, too. I was, you know. But, that, but your sister bringing you, that's, that's really yeah, cool. I'm
1: glad we could share that experience.
2: Yeah. I took uh, Vivian Nelson to Elvis in 77. And because she had just broken her leg, and she was the girlfriend of a photographer at Channel 3 in Duluth. Mm-hmm. And so I, and she had a cast, and so I felt sorry for her, so we went. Years later, my, at the time, probably 80-year-old mother, still with us at 95, somehow Elvis came up, and she said, "You know, and this is like 20 years after Elvis had, had appeared, and I had taken Vivian Nelson, don't you think you should have asked your mother if she wanted to see Elvis? <laughs> and it never even occurred to me to
0: ask her. No. No, it wouldn't.
2: You know, your mom, you don't, you know.
0: Yeah. Probably wasn't all that hip to bring mom to see Elvis.
2: She bears a grudge to this day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's worse when your mom's mad at you as opposed to your brother (laughs) who just wants to beat you up. Yeah. a lot of fun, Dave Lee. Thank you. Eric is great. Brianne, uh, this is fun. I hope we can uh, keep doing this.
1: I think so. I think we got another one in in the can. So,
0: okay. Well, that's awesome. Eric, thanks so much. And I know that we'll have uh, one of these days we're going to grab George, your brother, make you come back and uh, chat with uh, George a little bit. And and some of the concert experiences,
2: he'll be armed and dangerous. (laughs)
0: And with that, thanks for listening. Again, uh, we're, we're going to be doing this for a while, so we hope you join us. Probably, I'm going to guess that you, somebody's thinking of a great story right now because these are things that we, for some reason, all these significant events that happen in our lives, we, there's certain events you remember where you were and when you went. And concerts, for whatever reason, is one of those. This is the Talk North Podcast Network.